So I want to read Luke chapter 21, verses 25 to 36. Uh, you can also use the Pew Bible that is there in front of you and turn to page 881 if you would choose to do so. I would invite you and encourage you to open your Bibles or, or the Pew Bible there and follow along with this text. I think it's really important that you see where these words come from. So this morning I kind of want to inter introduce, uh, before I get started I guess, with uh, the series, I guess if you want to call it that, it is the Advent series on where we're going to be going over the next four weeks. And so over the next four weeks with this Advent series, we will focus on the arrival of Jesus, obviously, as we think about the birth of Jesus and how the arrival of Jesus answers our deepest longings in life, our longing for Jesus to come anew into our lives to bring us hope. The arrival of Jesus in Bethlehem answers the longing for God to move into our lives, bringing us joy, our longing for a Savior, to bring us peace. And finally, the return of Jesus to make all things new, bringing us love. And so over the next four weeks, we will see how the longings themselves are God's gift to us. And in this four-week Advent series, we will, will call us to celebrate Jesus' arrival and eventual return by considering the many ways Jesus has fulfilled our deepest needs of hope, joy, peace, and love. And so today, as I said, our focus will be on hope. And I want to turn to, and I want to read uh, where you've already turned to, I would imagine, Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through verse 36. And God's inspired and inerrant word reads, there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, dismay among the nations, in perplexity at the roaring of the seas and of the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of things that are coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up. Lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Behold, the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put forth leaves, you see it and know for yourselves that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. And that the day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of all the earth. But keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place. And to stand before the Son of Man. Father, we now commit to you the reading of your word. And we ask as we think about... Advent, as we think about your arrival on the scene as a tiny little baby there in a manger. And Father, we can romanticize that so much. 
And so to the start of this Advent season, Father, we want to think about the end goal. We want to think about your second coming, the second Advent. And so, Father, I pray that the power of your spirit, you would illuminate this text, open our hearts and minds. That you may speak to us what you would have for us this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. The hope of Advent. There's a song that is sung at Christmas time. It's a cheerful little ditty that goes something like this. You better watch out. You want to sing it? You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. A frightful thought. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Because Santa Claus is coming to town. If the words of this song are considered, there is no hope for you. There is no hope for me. And there is certainly nothing joyful or cheerful about the words of this song. Think about it for a moment. He's making a list. He's all legalistic on us, huh? He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. This is a song about a fictitious man who is omnipotent, who's omnipresent, who's omniscient, it's not a song about hope for any presence under the tree, but only disappointment. More often than not, if we are honest with ourselves, we are not good, nor are we nice. At Christmas, we celebrate the birth of a cute little baby lying in a manger, the birth of the long-expected Savior. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. This hymn draws our attention to the fact that we are indeed in need of a Savior. We are not free. We are enslaved to our fears and to our sins. And we need someone to release us from our bondage, we need a Savior. We need a Redeemer. We can truly celebrate this Advent season before we can truly celebrate the birth of our Redeemer. We must be reminded that there is a second Advent yet to come. Jesus will, is going to return. And so from this text, that I've, I, could, I could have titled, I guess, Signs of the Advent. 
But from this text, I want you to notice in verses 25 to 27, sign of dismay. In verse 28, sign of hope. And in verse 29 to 33, sign of nature. And then finally in verse 34 to 36, sign of attentiveness. But I must remind you, this is not a sermon on eschatology, by the way. So, But I must remind you that, that, that no one but the Father knows. No one but the Father knows when this second advent is going to take place. And, and I want to just um, go to Acts chapter 1 a little bit as I continue to, to build upon uh, where I'm headed here this morning. In Acts chapter 1, verse 6, we see that, that Luke, as he, as he wrote, the second Luke, as some like to call Acts, but if we look at Acts chapter 1, verse 6, it says that, so when they had all come together, after the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, and as they all came back together, they were asking Jesus, asking Him, saying, Lord, is this now the time that You are going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this now the time where, where You are going to set up Your kingdom? Are you you're going to reestablish Your kingdom? And He said to them, He said, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs, times or the seasons, which the Father has fixed by His own authority. Verse 9, And after He had said these things, He lifted up, He was lifted up, and while they were looking on, a cloud received Him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while He was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside Him. And these two men who stood beside the disciples said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken away from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched Him go. And so what we see here is, is the point is not necessarily on timing. The point is not to get caught up on each marker of end times, if you will, each mark of eschatology that we get it correct. But the point that I want you to, to know this morning and the point that I want to reestablish in your minds this morning is that Jesus is going to return. Jesus, this little baby that came the first time, is going to return. That is good news for some. And that is bad news for others. So the first heading that I have here this morning, sign of dismay. In verses 25 to 27, where the disciples were asking Jesus, Jesus, when are you going to return and what are going to be the signs of your coming? In verse 25, Jesus says, these are the signs of my return, of my coming. In verse 25a, there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth dismay among the nations. So at the first advent, as we have seen and as we know very well, there were cosmic signs. And so too there will be cosmic signs at the second advent. We are quite familiar in Matthew where it talks about the wise men seeing the star in the sky and following the star as it led, as the star led them to Jesus, this baby born in Bethlehem. And the star rested over the place where Jesus was and they knew that this is the Savior, this is the Redeemer, this is the Messiah that has now come. It was this cosmic sign that they, that they followed as they went through. 
and the wise men rejoiced. Now listen to this. The wise men, when they seen the star, when they seen the baby, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. But also, I want you to notice that uh, there was also great joy at the first coming of Jesus, the first advent, but there was also much fear at the first coming of Jesus, at the, at, at the first advent, if you will, at the birth of Jesus. Fear was also very present at the first advent. In Luke chapter 2, verse 9, we see that when the angels came to the shepherds watching over their flocks in the field by night, right? That the light shone all around them and the shepherds were very, were terribly, as NSB says it, were terribly frightened. There was something alarming about this. It's not something that you see every day. Matthew chapter 2, verse 9, when Herod the king heard about this king child that was born, he was troubled. And not just Herod, but all of Jerusalem with him. And I think what Matthew wants us to understand is not necessarily that all of Jerusalem was just troubled, but if the king's troubled, everybody's going to be troubled. If mommy ain't happy, nobody's happy, right? And I think that's what Matthew wants us to understand. Herod was so troubled. And we know the story, right? We know how he carried out this trouble. But but it wasn't just bothered. He, he wasn't just troubled. He wasn't just somewhat alarmed. He, we must understand that, 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 that it caused him great emotional and mental distress. I mean, I could just imagine that the man didn't eat. The man didn't sleep. The man did nothing but worry about this king child who was, who was born and who some people are going after and who he's afraid is going to take his place on the throne. We also must think of this fear, this trembling, or this, this frightenness when we think of Zacharias and when Zacharias went in the temple <clears throat> before John the Baptist was born. Him and his wife, they couldn't have any babies at all. They were, they were old. They couldn't have any babies. And yet, Zacharias went into the temple to do his priestly duties. And as he went into the temple, he goes into the temple, and there sits an angel to the right or the left, I forget which way the text says, of the altar. There sits the angel of the Lord. And how do you think Zacharias felt? Obviously, he felt very frightened. How would you feel if you walked into the temple as such as that, and there was the angel of the Lord? We also see in the sense of being frightened at the appearance of Jesus in Matthew chapter 14, verse 26, where the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee. Right? Remember the story, and as they were going across the sea, here comes Jesus walking on the water. And Matthew tells us that they were terrified and they cried out in fear. Now, what's the point of going through that little exercise? Because I want you to see the seriousness of this. Sometimes we can become so flippant about some of the experiences that we claim to have. And sometimes we can make these comments and we can say about some of these physical experiences, encounters that we have with Jesus, and we brag about it and we talk about it and we want to get our point across like, like we're somebody great, we're somebody special because Jesus has made a physical appearance to us. And what I want to tell you and the point of that is right there that nowhere in the biblical text does it carry out in such a way. Nowhere in the text does it say anything but those who had an encounter with the, with the angel of the Lord and the Lord Himself, they found themselves prostrate on their face, fearful to the point of not even being able to move. In fact, just a few verses later, Jesus warned the disciples about this very thing. In verse 8, Jesus tells them, 
Well, verse 7, they questioned him saying, Teacher, when will these things happen? Well, when are these things going to be? When are these signs going to take place? What will be the sign? And he says this. Jesus says to them and says, See to it. See to it that you are not misled. And he continues, For many will come in my name saying, I am he. And the time is near. Do not go after them. Do not go after them. Jesus said that there's going to be people that are going to make these grand proclamations and saying how I am Jesus, or I think better translation would be that I have been with Jesus, I have seen Jesus, I have directly heard from Jesus. And Jesus says, do not go after them. Do not believe them. He goes on and he says, you want to know? This is how. Verse 9. But when you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately. Verse 10. He continued saying to them, saying to them nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places, plagues and famines. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But all these things, and they will lay their hands on you and they will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you to the kings and governors for my name's sake. This is what Jesus is telling him. Look, don't get hung up on some of the fun stuff, some of the things that, 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 that we want to fantasize about. Don't get hung up on some of those things, but keep focused on the signs that are to come. Keep focused upon the things that I'm telling you will point the way. You know, I am amazed at how many times people predict the return of Jesus. How many stories have you heard about men and women who have made these predictions about the return of the Lord? How many of them have come true? None. And the next person comes along and says, this is the date and we fall for it again. Why is that? Jesus says, do not be misled. Do not think that you're going to be beam me up, Scotty, out of here and you're going to miss all these things. Jesus says, we will not. These are the things as Christian people we will endure before the end. And as Christian people, we must be prepared for the second advent. We must be prepared for the things that Jesus said will come upon us. In fact, Jesus says in verse 13, these things, these things will give us an opportunity for you to testify on behalf of your Savior. You're not going to be spared from these things, but they will give you opportunity to testify on behalf of your Savior. <laughs> you know, this is the time of the year where you ride up and down the road and you see signs in the yard that Jesus is the reason for the season. Indeed. Jesus is the reason for the season. But reason and season are not enough. Reason and season is not enough. You must confess. You must accept. And you must surrender. Just because Jesus came as Savior of the world does not mean that you are saved. You must accept. You must confess. And you must surrender your life to Christ. That is the reason for the season. 
You see, at the first advent, only a select few were aware of the birth of the Savior. At His return, every single person will know. There will be no dispute. Many want to dispute Jesus currently. Does He even exist? Is He more than just a good man? Is He fictitious? Is He a way of controlling our life? You hear all the arguments. At His second advent, there will be no no dispute. There will only be fear for those who have rejected this little baby that has come this Christmas day in the manger. The greatest fear that every person experiences is to face the reality of immortality. The greatest fear that every single person fears is the reality of your death, of my death. There are those who have no hope of eternal life. And they live in great and constant fear of dying. The first Sunday of Advent is hope. Those without hope are indeed justly and rightly fearful. But we are not people without hope. We are people with hope. It is us who spread and send the message this Christmas day, this Christmas month, not of fear, but of hope. Listen, we must get this right. And, and I guess, I guess in a way of application, maybe this morning, you know me, I'm not really big on application. It's not my strong suit. I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. I need to work on that. But, but as I thought about this ideal and what Jesus said here, that, 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 that it will lead as an opportunity for your testimony. And Jesus said that, Some of the signs of the end times are plagues. Can you think of a plague in our recent history? Well, let me remind you of COVID. (laughs) Right? I mean, and there's people that want to go crazy with that. And they want to make all kinds of proclamations. And I'm not here to dispute any of it. But what I'm saying is that after a year and a half of constant fear, as Christians we have a great opportunity to send a message of hope, not fear. There's those who are so fearful of getting COVID. And then there's those that are so fearful of the vaccine. And these two extremes are driving people nuts. Knock it off. That's not our camp. That's not where we live. We don't live in fear of COVID. We don't live in fear of the vaccine. The message that Christian people, as Christian people, we must send is one of hope, not fear. Our message isn't, is the government trying to power over us? Are we trying to be injected by Bill Gates? That's nonsense. Our message is a message of hope, not fear. And when we get caught up in those battles and in those arguments, we are not doing the work of Christ. As Christian people, we are squandering an opportunity that we have in the midst of this, to say, I'm not a fear. I'm not afraid of the vaccine. I'm not afraid of COVID. I don't care about neither one. Do what you like with them. But we have an opportunity to say, listen, if I die of COVID, if I die of the vaccine, I'm going to die of something. And I have hope and you can have it too. What an opportunity we have. Don't squander it. We have no fear of death. Are you afraid of dying? I can't imagine what next Sunday is going to be like if this is first Sunday, huh? 
what a cheerful Christmas sermon. But we must get the first things first. We must get this right as we go into the season. And we'll pick up the pace. We'll lift it up a bit. But we must look at the reality of what the first advent means and points to. See verse 28, second heading. Sign of hope. Let's turn a corner. Sign of hope in verse 28. But when these things begin to take place, okay, these things, obviously what just came before, when these things begin to take place, straighten up. Lift up your heads because your redemption, your Redeemer is drawing near. Listen, straighten up is just, what that means is I know, I was always told to straighten up. Hey, listen here, straighten up. That's not what it means. It means in the sense that, that we need, we're, we're in expectations of something is the word. I should have looked at what some of the other translations translated here, but, but it's in the expectation of redemption is exactly what it means. And so as we, these things come upon us, and as we see some of these signs and question, Lord, is this one of the signs? We need to straighten up. We need to expect deliverance. We need to stand tall. Why? Because we know what it means that our Redeemer, that the redemption is drawing near. Soon we will be released from captivity. It's just the, it's just the process of, of, re, of releasing a slave. And you and I are nothing but a doulos. You and I are slaves of Christ or slaves of this world. This is what this is the message of hope that we have in the second advent. That as these things take place, don't be terrified. But lift up your heads. Straighten up. Stand tall knowing that you are about to be delivered. The expectation of the second advent is a time of great hope for those who are in Christ. And these words of Jesus were spoken 2,000 years ago. Today. Today we are much closer than ever to this second advent. Are you ready? Does that cause you joy or cause you fear? What do we think about that? We see signs from nature, verses 29 to 33. Jesus says, look at the fig trees. Look at all the trees. As they're starting to bud. Well, here we've seen all the leaves fall off the trees and we know winter's coming. I think it's arrived. But he says, look, when you see these signs of nature, you know the season is next. And Jesus says, so too. That when you see the signs that I have just given you, that you can expect, you can respect the second advent. In verse 33, Jesus says, He says, um, But heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. You know, we have full confidence that as reliable as the signs of nature are, the Word of God is more reliable. Creation is indeed passing away and falling away, but the Word of God, we are told, will never fail us. And then last, I want, I want to close with a um, sign of attentiveness. Verses 24 to 36. Verses 24 to 36. 
starts out with saying, could be a therefore there, but because it's transitioning to it. So, so therefore, be on guard. Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down. It may be good at this point to give a little definition to hope. Hope is simply defined as looking forward to something with some reasonable confidence that it's going to take place, right? That's what hope is. And so Jesus transitions here and He says, now now be on guard. Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down. Be on guard, that's just a continuous state of readiness. Carl Urbacher, you said your your nephew, right? Or someone was, was being deployed. You know, as military people, they're always to be on guard. Graham's always on guard. If he's on duty or not, he's on guard. And Jesus is telling us as Christian people, we must always be on guard. And don't be weighed down. It's a physical condition in the sense that it's being used here. It's literally having your mind altered by drugs and alcohol, right? Okay, so when you think about what you just went through, as you think about the fear and the fright that some have of the thought of the second coming, they find their relief or their release from the current state by altering their mind. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down. So that your heart, so that your mind and your heart will not be, it's, it's, a, it's a physical, it's, it's, it's a psychological condition, right? And so we're distracting our mind from our current state. And Jesus says, don't be that. Don't go there. Don't do that. Don't be it there where you're constantly thinking about leaving. Sure, drugs and alcohol, yes, but they could also point to our other distractions. How do we avoid? How do we stick our heads in the sand? We all have a way of doing that at times where we want to distract our minds. Where we want to think about, well, I don't want to think about this anymore, so I'm going to distract my mind, right? Or I'm going to try to take my mind off of it. And yet Jesus is saying, in the context of His second coming, don't do that. But be sharp-minded. Be on alert. Be on guard. Verse 35, for guard. This is connecting to what came. For it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of the earth and all of the earth. It will come upon every single person. No one will be left out. These things will come upon them all. Therefore, verse 36, keep on alert. We are to be vigilant. We could say it in a way um, to gather intel. Right? We're supposed to be vigilant in it. We're not supposed to be deceived as Jesus warned the disciples earlier but we're supposed to stay vigilant in it. Why? So that you may have strength. So that you may be in a position. So that you will be capable to stand. But keep on alert at all times. Praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place. And to stand before the Son of Man. Think about those last words. So that you can have strength to stand before the Son of Man. Who can stand before a holy and righteous and just God? 
And yet Jesus is telling us that this is why we need to be on guard. This is why we need to be alert. This is why we need to stand firm. This is why we need to pay attention. Because we will all stand before the Son of Man. I want to turn to Revelation. I want to turn to Revelation chapter 6. In Revelation chapter 6, at verse 12, as John has this vision before him, and it says, And I looked, and when he, God, broke the sixth seal, that's one short of completion, one short of perfection, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black, and the whole moon became like blood, and the sky fell to the earth. The sky was split apart like a scroll. Every mountain and island was moved out of their places. Then the kings, the kings of the earth, the great men, the commanders, and the rich, and the strong, and the slave, and the free, everyone hid themselves. Every sociological group, every class of people is covered here. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who I am. Everyone is involved here. And they said, let the mountains and the rocks fall on us. Hide us from the presence of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of God. For the great day of their wrath has come. And here comes the question, and who is able to stand? This is indeed the question. And if it stopped there, it would indeed be frightful. If it stopped there, we would indeed not have hope. But this is where the Christian can stand up and rise up and say, I cannot stand on my own, but I know how I can. This is the hope that we have, right? And it comes in Revelation, the very next chapter, in chapter 7. And so in chapter 7, verse 9, John says, And then I looked, and behold, there was a great multitude standing before me. No one could count them. Every ethnicity was involved here. Every nation, all the tribes, all the peoples, everyone, all kinds of different tongues, all languages were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands. Remember as Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And they were crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders of the four living creatures. They fell to their faces and they worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing, glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, honor, power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders came up to John and says, Hey, these that are clothed in the white robes, who are they? And John said, well, I don't know who they are. You know who they are. And the angel responded and says, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. These are the ones who came through exactly what Jesus was just spelling out for them before the end times. They have washed, listen, they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. See, blood 
blood was thought to contaminate. And here, John's being told that the blood actually purified. The robes are washed in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne. Not because of anything they've done. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and they serve Him day and night in the temple and He who sits on the throne will spread His tabernacle over them. He will tabernacle with them. He will be with them. Listen. They will hunger no longer, nor thirst anymore, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb, this baby that we celebrate this Christmas season, this Lamb will be in the center of the throne, will be their shepherd, and will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Every need this is the hope we have as Christian people. And this is the hope that we must send this Christmas season to a world that is indeed without hope. Who can stand? Only those whose robes are washed in the blood of the Lamb. This baby born on Christmas Day that we celebrate. We romanticize about. It is this baby, and it is only through this baby that we can stand before a holy and righteous, just God. Hope. It can be a tricky concept because so much around us seems to say that we have to settle because life is just what it is, or even worse, life is altogether hopeless. However, the message of Advent is that God is a God of hope who calls us to look beyond our circumstances and to trust again, or maybe for the first time, in His promises. Jesus' arrival centuries ago was significant, but His return will be even more powerful. Are you ready? Are you ready? The gift of Christmas is indeed Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Verse 9. So that no one can boast. So that no one can boast. This is indeed the gift of Christmas. And as we think about a holy, righteous, just God, how can we stand? How can we stand? It is only because of the work that was begun so many years ago on the first advent. Jesus sending His only Son on our behalf so that one day we could indeed stand before the throne, purified, condemned, not contaminated, but purified. This is the message of Christmas. Listen, I know it didn't sound maybe all that great this morning, but I think we kind of had to go there so that we can indeed see the hope that we have. And if we can't send that message of hope, and all we send is a message of conspiracy and fear, 
We ought to just be quiet. As followers of Jesus, we have a message of hope. Let me share that this Christmas season. Father, I thank you. I thank you for emptying yourself. Taking upon the sins of the world so that we can lead, have this hope. Father, sometimes the holiday seasons are anything but cheerful and joyful for many. We know statistics show that it can be a very depressing time for many. Father, as followers of your Son, help us to be agents of hope. Release us into our community and into our workplaces and into our world as messengers of hope that only is found in you that was started so long ago this Christmas morning as a, a little baby. It doesn't end there, Lord. You will return. But I pray, Father, as we leave this place, that you would lift our spirits, that as we maybe went down a bit of a, a dark path, but Father, out of that we would be lifted up and have a new and a fresh view of what indeed Christmas means and that it indeed you are the reason for the season. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.